Hi, my name is Alex Kelly, co-founder of Bright Flag, and this is In-House Outliers, a podcast where I interview those who've taken unconventional paths and challenged conventional notions of how in-house legal should operate. I'm delighted to be joined today on the podcast by Adrienne Schall to discuss her fascinating journey to becoming a legal ops leader at Tibco. Adrian, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, so excited to be here. Well, Adrian, we might start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Burke, New York, which is a very small rural town in upstate New York. If you zoom out on a map of the U.S., we are on the line between the U.S. and Canada. <laughs> oh, and apologies, you may see some special guests come in, like my illegal beagle, Isla, was <laughs> not very well trained. So I grew up on a dairy farm. Here's a little joke people make when they're from a small town is that they're from a town with more cows than people. I sure was. <laughs> it really is a wonderful place. When I go and visit my family, it's just very relaxing. You know, there's no traffic. There's lots of um, beautiful wilderness and, you know, the Adirondacks are nearby. So really great place to grow up and a great place to come home to. It sounds pretty idyllic childhood. And how did you find your way from that kind of childhood experience to studying computer science in college at St. Lawrence University? Yeah, so for college, I really did not stray far from home. St. Lawrence was about a little over an hour drive from my parents' house. And how I ended up there was every high school locally got a pretty substantial scholarship. They called it the Augsbury Scholarship. And I got the one for my high school, which, you know, made it very affordable for me to go uh, to this very expensive liberal arts college. That was how I ended up going there. And I I didn't know I was going to do computer science at the time. I I really had no clue. I I was a very practical person always. uh, You know, I was like, well, you know, whatever I I do, I want it to be something that's going to be, you know, a successful job. But yeah, I had really no clue at that time. But how I got introduced to computer science was they had us take special topic courses the first year, and I took the history of the internet. (laughs) And it was a really fun topic. And for the final paper, you know, instead of everyone else who was writing these 30 page, you know, essays, our final project was make an eight page website. And I was like, oh, you know, I can, I can make a website and I don't have to write a paper this is awesome. (laughs) So, you know, the next semester I took intro to CS 101 and the rest is history. (laughs) So that, that was that kind of light bulb moment. And then how did you find yourself working on the West Coast as a researcher at UC Santa Cruz as part of that kind of college experience? Yes. So the National Science Foundation has these wonderful programs called Research Experience for Undergraduates, REUs. And it's designed for students who go to schools that don't have graduate programs. So they don't get that exposure to what, you know, research path or PhD path looks like. They're all over the country. And my advisor had suggested that I apply for some. And sure enough, got accepted to UC Santa Cruz's Surf IT REU. And, you know, again, as a kid from a farm in upstate New York who really hadn't gotten the the chance to travel much. That was just the dream, you know, to to go live 
by the beach for the summer. And so I got to, to, to do really interesting work. We built a, an iPhone app that was designed to motivate teenagers to exercise. So really got a great exposure. Um, it, you know, and it was my first taste of California as well, which as we'll see later is a preview of this is the place to be. I've got to come back, you know, spoiler alerts. I did. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it sounds like a, a lot of fun, a really formative experience. I was talking to Mike Haven on the podcast about this recently, where I had spent a summer in UC Santa Barbara, not mm. doing anything as productive as you were. I was, I was on a, a student visa working on a sailboat and having a lot of fun, but likewise just come blown away by the lifestyle and, and had a great time and I'm interested to understand you obviously you had started to kind of hone in on maybe this is a career path for me kind of mm -hmm. specializing in computer science did you have a kind of an ideal job in mind as you were kind of finishing up in college or kind of a path you thought you were going to go down not at all again I was a very again, practical person I basically was like applying, you know, furiously senior year to any company that would let me upload my resume. And how I, I got acquainted with General Electric was, you know, I just was watching TV, saw a commercial for something completely unrelated. I, you know, I think they were doing like an eco-imagination initiative at the time or something. And I just kind of said, oh, General Electric, you know, they're a big company. They must have an IT department, <laughs> you know, like, let me, let me go see on their website. And so, you know, went to, to their careers page and saw this digital technology leadership program. And it's a two-year rotational program. You do four different jobs for six months each. They move you around to different cities, different departments, and also give you a lot of intensive training. We did a month of training in Detroit. And then a year in, we did another month of training in Shanghai. So they really have structured it well that you're, you're getting exposure to just so many different areas and again, perfect for me I had no clue what I wanted to do so this was like oh I get to just try a bunch of things this is great <laughs> it's amazing Adrian because like obviously like Jack Welsh is just renowned yeah. as this incredible leader it was known as this kind of preeminent place to go that develops great leaders and has an incredible management training programs and also kind of satirized. I don't know if you watch 30 Rock, but kind of satirized. Oh, yes, yes, that's Rock. a favorite. <laughs> and so it's it's amazing that like your your route there was slightly different, but obviously benefiting from that great training. And, yes. and I'm interested to understand like that that first two-year program, like what was the kind of substance of it then? How do they approach taking somebody coming reasonably green out of out of college and, and kind of bring you on that journey? Yeah, so that first month we they brought, I think it was probably like 150 people, you know, all new grads from all over the world. They brought us to one of their offices and for a month we were just in the classroom and they just tried to cover everything right that we might need project management, change management, business acumen, you know, just how can you read a, you know, a financial report? Let's, hey, let's look at the GE stock price today and let's talk about it. It was, it was honestly the perfect boot camp for somebody, you know, again, who didn't have a lot of business exposure, you know, and it was just really ideal for me. Yeah, it's something I've kind of observed obviously true speaking to people on the podcast and more generally is like there's obviously no defined career path to finding your way to becoming a legal operations leader 
but like working in a kind of a large organization that really invests in training and development mm -hmm. of their kind of high potential new joiners can be really impactful, whether that's in management consulting in a large organization like GE or from mm -hmm. my personal experience was in a law firm and those kind of like getting kind of to some extent indoctrinated in that early stage <laughs> and good behaviors really kind of stays with you. And I'm interested to understand, like when you look back now, uh, are there kind of core skills that you still kind of call on and that really set you apart from your perspective? I think project management is just the basis because if you can't run a project from end to end, then you're not going to have any impact to show or to, you know, to be able to, to take that forward. The second piece that they really drilled into us was just being able to tell a story, you know, tell your story effectively. We had to do pr presentations every three months to the GE IT executive team. So, you know, which is very intimidating as, you know, as these green folks coming in, but it, it really taught you to craft your message, um, be able to tell them, hey, what did, have I been doing for the last three months in, you know, basically five minutes, and then be able to respond to questions. So those were the big things that I, I've just used ever since. And obviously, given the nature of legal operations, where it is heavily based on driving successful projects, that kind of core skill set and combining that with great communication skills, I think makes for a really successful combination. I'm interested to understand then how you found your way into, I don't think it was called legal ops at the time, but how you found your way into that space within GE. Yeah. So as I mentioned that we did four six month rotations. So my third rotation was with what they call the legal systems team. And I worked on our patent clearance app. I got to work with our lobbying team in C, working on an app for them. I got just exposure to a bunch of really interesting projects. And it just such a great experience. I was like, this is the team to be on. Like, I, I just really enjoyed it. I took my fourth rotation, which was with the GE pension fund, actually, you know, I was doing reporting for the traders, which is, which was really interesting stuff as well, but I knew uh, legal is where my heart was. And so when I rolled off the program into an official full-time role, I said, you know, take me back, you know, please have me. And luckily they had an opening. So that was how I first got acquainted with legal ops in some shape or form. Obviously you're in an organization that uh, operating at such scale where there's kind of 200,000 odd employees, yeah. $70 billion business with like massive complexity to it. And, and I certainly recall myself from our earliest days and bride flag back in kind of 2014, 2015, mm -hmm. we were certainly well aware of the GE legal department was, mm -hmm. was very advanced when compared to where the market was then. Can you give us an insight into kind of how legal department operations were structured at certainly at that time when you were there? Yeah. So well, when I came in, they did have a legal ops team. And of course, Andy, you, you talked about the scale. When I first started, we were really just focused on, you know, the basics, right? Getting e-billing and matter management right. Are the invoices following our outside council guidelines? And actually, right around that time, the wonderful Farrah Pepper actually had joined GE and was starting up their e-discovery center of excellence. So... Uh, that was actually a big portion of what my role was. It was, uh, you know, making sure that our e-discovery tools were functioning properly. Actually, the first day that I came in, my manager said, 
the legal whole system is on fire. I, I apologize to you know put this on you on your first day, but I really need your help. And so, you know, this is what I walked into. But I had such wonderful role models: Sarah Pepper, Steve Scorziello, who really like taught me what legal ops could be. Uh, and then they gave me a lot of guidance and mentorship. Again, I was on the IT side. You know, I was really systems focused, but they really spent a lot of time with me to teach me what the legal basis, you know, why we were doing things the way we were, you know, getting me to understand that. So yeah, just you know, wonderful exposure to, to legal ops. It sounds like a kind of a legal ops MBA, the people yeah. that you had there as mentors, the kind of the, the fact that they were at such a scale, even then that everything mm-hmm. was getting stood up, whether it was e-billing a matter management mm-hmm. or e-discovery and legal hold and enabling, as you said, to kind of develop the kind of the domain knowledge, which you can combine with your technical skills, your project management yeah. skills. Um, and can you give us a sense then, Adrian, of how your role evolved over the kind of four yeah. years you spent focusing on legal systems? Yeah, exactly. So as I mentioned, first day I walked in and everything was on fire. <laughs> it was a lot of, in, in that first year or so, of stabilizing operations on these systems. We couldn't focus on, you know, being visionary or anything when everything's not working well in the, in the first place. So it was just getting, you know, integrations um, functioning properly, building back trust in the systems. Once you've got things running smoothly, then that's when you can really focus on, okay, well, what's next? How can we think strategically? How can we leverage all of this data that we have and actually do something with it? And that was when we were actually able to bring in Spotfire, Tipco Spotfire, it's a sporting tool, and hook that up to our, our management system and really started to focus on litigation spend. We, again, General Electric is such a, you know, huge company. We just had years worth of valuable data, we could literally get into, you know, things like, oh, what arbitrators are getting us the best results and uh, what jurisdictions do we see the worst results in, you know, should we look at trying to move jurisdictions, you know, Uh, so it was a a really fun project. So I was leading a a team of Spotfire developers to, you know, just build out these dashboards so that we could, again, start to just actually see some benefit and try to be able to look forward versus just, you know, reporting on what's happened in the past. That's an incredible journey to go on and to kind of have lived through that Mm -hmm. step change from we need to keep the lights on, as you highlighted, there's just those foundational systems you need, yeah. like e-billing a matter management to get the invoices paid, to give finance the accruals reporting that just need to work. Yeah. But then there's all that incredible data that's being captured that can be used in a way more proactive way to partner with the business, make better decisions. And that's, that is always what surprises me is that the mark, like that, that isn't happening as frequently as you might think in many legal departments where mm-hmm. they might get to that point of having the foundational systems in place managing things but they're not actually using the data to look at how they could make smarter decisions as a business or ri- mitigate risks or get better outcomes as you yeah. highlighted on a, a piece of litigation or an arbitration and i'm interested to under- understand you obviously had these great mentors internally far and steve and mm-hmm. this incredible team and body of knowledge when did you start to become aware of the kind of broader legal operations community and what role has that kind of played in your career yeah so i was able to attend legal week which I think at the time was called like Legal Tech New York or something like that. And that was 
my first exposure to this, oh, you know, this, this is a, a crazy, huge world. And I was kind of on the IT side. So I really was focusing on the systems. I would just walk the floor and just say, hey, what system is this? Tell me about it. And I remember Steve telling me, now flip your badge over, flip your badge over. When they see GE, they said it is, you know. <laughs> um, but I was really interested to just learn what tools were out there, you know, how they could potentially be leveraged. So yeah, that was my my first exposure to you know, the world, you know, just outside of my, my little GE bubble. Had the pleasure of attending Legal Week or I've lost track of the name of the conference myself as yeah. well. <laughs> and it is kind of overwhelming all of the technology there in one place and a lot of the discovery focus, yep. uh, particularly there as well. And you then relocated to the Bay Area. Was there a change in your role at that point within GE where you were focusing on a program that was kind of outside of legal specifically? Yes. So this is when I take a little fun detour. So you know, kind of one portion that, that we haven't covered is that I actually also met my spouse while I was at GE. He was on the same program. Uh, this, this uh, you know, leadership program also produces lots of couples. <laughs> there, there are actually several, there are several married couples now because, you know, you're, you're bringing together these like, like-minded folks. And we met while we were on the, the Shanghai training, you know, I had dated long distance for years while we were moving around to these various GE cities. And then he actually got hired by Google. So we relocated to the Bay Area. And for a time, I was still working on legal ops, but GE was also trying to make a big, uh, you know, kind of Silicon Valley-esque push by opening up an, uh, an office in the Bay Area. So I, I took an opportunity to build help desk lounges and this is the fun thing about, you know, being at such a big company like yeah. that is you've kind of proven that you can do project management skills or do roles in different ways. Again, the Jack Welch philosophy, right? He used to move executives from appliances to aircraft engines. And so, you know, I was doing uh, legal systems, but they said, hey, yeah, you've, you've proven yourself. I think you could figure out how to build help desk lounges. And so I covered all the offices in North and South America, and they were really trying to do this push of, you know, getting away from put in a ticket, call an 800 number if you have an IT issue. They were realizing that the time lost was significant. So other companies had, had deployed this model successfully, Google being one of them. They have a tech stops, they call them, where there's just a station that you can walk up to, there's friendly faces, you know, the friendly face of IT, folks that you can just push your laptop over to them and say, help. <laughs> so yeah, this is the initiative that I came into this team and, and it was really cool technology as well. It wasn't just the space, but we had built our own app in-house where you just scanned your badge and that would open up the ticket for you. So they had your information, they could see what problems have you had previously. So maybe that could factor into what you're experiencing now. Uh, it was a really fun spaces as well. And for project management, I was really multifaceted. I would work with the, the different offices to identify a suitable space. Then you know, we're literally looking at like, okay, you know, let's make sure that the wall has a level five finish so we can put up the mural. And is the paint color correct? Will the desk fit? <laughs> Are there enough plugs? Then I would also go onto these sites, you know, obviously make sure that the space was set up correctly, but then also train the technicians on the tool 
and, and see how people were interacting, you know, how the, how the flow was working and then continue, you know, it wasn't just, okay, we built it, we're done. There was all this, um, this culture of continuous improvement of, you know, how, how are people rating the experience? We had the, you know, a very quick, happy face, stone face, you know, sad face, you know, thing that would go out after the ticket was resolved. So you know, we were constantly measuring, you know, how, how are, how do, what do people think of the, of the lounges and what can we do better? How can we improve the tool to, to help the technicians? So it, it was, again, a really fun detour, <laughs> I, you know, and I, I don't think you could really do that at a lot of companies. So then, you know, I've been doing that for a couple of years. We had, you know, kind of reached the breaking point of, okay, we've pretty much covered all of the offices that, that we're going to, to build a lounge in. You know, we're getting a little more operational. And I kind of realized, I was like, oh, you know, again, this is, this is really fun. But, you know, am I going to be like, you know, an interior decorator now? Or am I going to be a construction project manager? As I kind of was, was looking at the market, I was like, well, I don't really have the qualifications. You know, I've been doing it for two years. Yeah, but I didn't really have all the, the qualifications to do that elsewhere. And, you know, as I was really thinking about my overall career path. I was like, you know, what? where was I happiest and where did I feel that I belonged? And, and it was really legal <laughs> and, and really legal ops, which, you know, but I didn't even really know, you know, what was, again, what it was called. Um, and it's amazing because it is, as you say, it's a kind of a, a career detour to some extent that facilitated by a really large organization that saw your yes. abilities and put you in into a different situation. And I'm, I'm sure you kind of took things with you kind of owning a project and that has so many different facets that have been really applicable in your subsequent career in, in legal ops and amazing. I'm sure that like the, the organization was able to facilitate for you at a personal level with your husband, that move and that opportunity. And then you went on obviously to join Tibco. What attracted you to, to Tibco? Yeah. So I, it's really the legal team there. As soon as I interviewed with them, I was like, I want to work with these people. But one of the folks that I interviewed with, that he opened the interview with, I see you've worked with lawyers before. You want to work with us again? <laughs> and such a, a wonderful, welcoming tone for the interviews. Like I just instantly felt at home. And so I was just like, oh, please pick me, please pick me, because these are some incredibly smart folks, very tech focused as well. You know, so I I just you know, I think it was just a really right place, right time, and was was hired in for, for legal ops there. Uh, my manager at the time, Debbie Patillo, she had really built the organization up. She, I think she'd been there for 20 years. So again, she was like a pioneer in legal ops. So it was a really just a great team to, to work with. Well, I, I imagine it was a no-brainer, Adrian, from <laughs> Tibco's legal leadership perspective, given your incredible technical skills your project management skills the experience you got at, at GE I'm sure there was no shortage of opportunities to, for you at that stage and I'm curious to understand you'd obviously you were coming from as we spoke about an organization operating at incredible scale with hundreds of thousands of employees very mature operations what was the structure of the legal team at, mm -hmm. at TIPCO when you joined so we were about uh, you know 45 to 50 in the department total and then in legal ops, two people, and it's still at two people now, but we've heavily focused on technology and invested. We've had a CLM 
since 2005. I think we're really early adopter of CLM. We're, we're now on, I think, our third or fourth CLM. We've had, you know, matter management since, you know, probably since Serengeti, you know, was first released, <laughs> you know, now, now legal tracker. I think that's the, the, the biggest challenge in legal ops, actually, is just keeping up with the name changes. <laughs> Yeah, that is that is tough. Uh, absolutely. And when you came into the role, what were your your own initial priorities? Yes. So my biggest focus coming in was implementing our current CLM. The one we had been on was aging. It, it had been a few years and we knew that there's, you know, so many new great tools out there. So we were focused on getting the approval, getting the funding to uh, do the new, some new implementation. And so I started off with working on the justification, getting that approval, and then, you know, just running with the implementation. So we went live with that system in April of 2020. There wasn't anything else happening in the world at that time. <laughs> so yeah, that was, uh, you know, for the uh, you know, first couple of years I was there, that, that was that really the focus was CLM. And you didn't have to worry about standing up a kind of physical in-office help desk, obviously, <laughs> given what was, what was going exactly, on in the exactly. world as you, were, as you were betting in CLM. And it obviously is, it's such a fundamental platform in terms of facilitating the business, mm -hmm. touching so many aspects of the business, necessitating a huge amount of change management and kind of iteration. And I imagine that wasn't a kind of set it and forget it. Is there been kind of ongoing work on that since? Absolutely. Yes. So we are constantly expanding the usage. Uh, so we use Malbec and we've really been able to, to leverage the tool for everything beyond contracts. We, you know, we said, oh, we were looking at policy management tools and we're like, well, what's a policy? It's, it's a document with a review workflow. We're like, we can build that in Malbec, you know? Uh, so, so we, um, you know, we added, you know, we tested out just, you know, doing policy management in Malbec, you know, doing things like letters for immigration purposes or continuing obligations letters. So, you know, in addition to, we're constantly looking at how can we enable sales and, you know, enable procurement to just do their work without the need for legal. Um, you know, we're, we're constantly looking at, you know, what are the things we can do to, to make their lives easier? We're constantly looking for new use cases to see, you know, how can we fully use this system, even if it's not solely for what someone would typically call a contract. And I think you're presumably your background, your experience over the years, building systems and processes, you just have that kind of broader perspective on, on how things can be applied. And it's incredible to be able to get those kind of use cases out of one platform, which makes mm -hmm. life much easier, I'm sure, for yourself and your team and the business more generally. I, I actually had Colin Levion from Malbec on the podcast ah. recently as well. Yeah. And to, to one of your points there, it was something we discussed. We were both obviously at Summit by the Sea last week. It was it was a major point yes. of discussion is, is that trying to get the balance right with the business in terms of who is doing what work, what should actually be getting done by legal, what should be sitting with the sales yeah. team or the relevant team and how can you be upskilling them and through training processes or, or playbooks or other things to kind of ensure the legal are, are kind of being put to the best use possible. So it sounds like you're, you're kind of taking that approach in, in how you're implementing the tools as well. Exactly. Yeah. Our, our biggest metric or KPI is, what we call high velocity contracts versus low velocity. 
Mm -hmm. High velocity, meaning that sales was able to, you know, take it from contract creation to signing without assistance from legal. You know, they can customize their contract. We, we give them a drop down on their quotes in Salesforce to what additional, you know, legal approved clauses um, they want to add to the document based on what they select. We, you know, it has different levels of approvals. You know, maybe just let them go straight to e-sign or maybe there's a guardrail where we say, oh, you picked, you know, X clause you know, we've, we've sent it to, to legal to put their eyes on it. So yeah, we've really thought a lot about how can we, you know, hopefully, you know, in, in the majority of scenarios, I want, you know, at least at the 80, 20, right. 80% of contracts, I want sales yeah. to be able to, to do it without us. 100%. And I'm interested to get your perspective on, for the benefit, I suppose, of our listeners, the contrast between working in maybe a, a kind of a smaller legal ops team within a mm-hmm. fast-paced organization in contrast to a very large legal department, legal ops function at GE, there's presumably like differences in what is going to be priority, what is feasible and, and what's going to make the biggest impact for your organization. Mm-hmm. How do you think about that kind of distinction? It's just worlds apart because just because of the, um, the sheer amount of people even with the, uh, our CLM implementation, I was able to just meet personally or, you know, via smaller Zoom meetings for trainings with the different groups and, and cover everybody versus, you know, at a company like GE, that's just not going to happen. There's no way to meet with 20,000 users or um, 100,000, depending on, you know, the type of system. And so things are just going to move slower and changes need to be a little more incremental to accommodate for you know variations and and the the sheer amount of people impacted the biggest thing is change management you can move a little faster you know be a little more agile you know again we have a, a smaller group of people a lot that may know you personally and you know and have trust in you you know versus versus at a bigger company so yeah, I do think that's a, one of the, the, the nice perks of being at you know, a slightly smaller company is things can move a little faster. <laughs> I think that's incredibly insightful. And presumably it has a fundamental impact on, as you say, that approach to change management. What is achievable mm-hmm. if you were moving CLM platforms? It's yeah. easier to do that at TIBCO as opposed to at, at an organization like GE. Or Do you mm-hmm. think it impacts the kind of the ambition you can have and what's achievable in a project or because as you say you can be in the room engaging directly with people getting their buy-in versus a very different type of onboarding program presumably if you're engaging with a few hundred thousand users you can still have the same ambitions you're just gonna have to go about them in a, a, a way different approach a lot of what i do at tipco is a lot of bottom up you know somebody will come to me with an idea or i'll have an idea and it's easy for us to be like hey yeah let's test this change out or let's build a workflow for um for a new process and you know we'll be very scrappy and build something quickly or test a feature out and if it doesn't quite work we say okay yeah revert that change real quick you know and we can do that without much impact at a bigger company i think you can still have you know, big ambitions, but you can't just, you know, build something really quickly and and just say, yeah, hopefully this works. Now let's try it out. You need it to scale. Yeah. So I I think from there, I think that it's a lot more of a top-down approach of, Hey, we've got this idea. You know, maybe we did a test. Here's here, you know, here's the results. We want to take this wider. So you need to get that executive buy-in 
get the funding to build something out that's going to be really resilient and then you know do or do the change management do the the rollout to that wider group so again i think big changes can be can happen it's the approach is just different i think you've explained that incredibly well and and presumably what that means is it's maybe a little bit less of that kind of MVP approach where you can iterate quickly and yeah. get to the right answer. It's maybe you set the course up front and need to put a lot of thought into that. And then it's yeah. harder to deviate from that path uh, mm-hmm. once you're once you're on it, maybe. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, you really need to, to, to put a lot of thought in at first to really ensure that the, the, the process is going to work and, and that the, it's going to be a good impact. And obviously, like when we did our CLM implementation, we did the same thing there. Yeah. But it is, you know a lot easier to then make incremental changes and, and shift thinking and stuff like that <laughs> with a smaller group. No, it's fascinating. And, and I'm curious, what's next for your legal team? So we it's exciting times for Tipco. We are currently um, in the process of merging with Citrix. This is expected to happen very soon. So we will be combining two legal teams, you know, two sets of legal systems. So that is, is what is coming up for us in the next few months. It's, it's going to be a lot of work, but it's going to be exciting work. And, you know, I'm up for the challenge and I'm, I'm really enjoying all, the, all the, the folks that I've met at Citrix so far. So yeah, looking forward to, to going on this journey with them. <laughs> Oh, that that's incredibly exciting. And I, I was a, an M&A lawyer in a previous life. And that kind of it's so important to get that integration work done, mm-hmm. getting the teams working in a collaborative way. And I imagine your GE skill set will <laughs> be incredibly useful in that context. And this has been a, a really enjoyable conversation for me. And I've learned a huge amount from it. And I think such a great contrast in that massive GE experience and the incredible work you've done in the last few years at TIBCO. Outside of the world of, of legal operations, Adrian, what do you enjoy doing in, in your spare time? So I do a lot of DIY projects. Um, I, I think I kind of mentioned that you know, I'm scrappy. So I'm, I'm constantly, um, you know, if I get a quote for something, I'm like, I can build this. You know, So I, I recently converted my lawn to all uh, native plants. I, I did it all myself, so I probably saved at least 10,000 in, in landscaping costs. I never want to landscape again, but I, I, I got through it. And I have, a, as I mentioned, I have two dogs. So basically you'll find me either working around the house, walking my dogs, or I, I also really enjoy cooking. So I'm, I'm constantly trying out new recipes and new kitchen equipment. I currently am working through Kenji Lopez-Alt's new book, The Walk. So I got to walk and I'm, I'm enjoying learning about Chinese cooking. So yeah, this is all kinds of different things after hours. <laughs> Never a dull moment. And uh, it's funny, I was talking to a few people last week at, at uh, Summit by the Sea, and it does seem like legal operations is more of a dog community than a cat community. <laughs> the people I've spoken to, it is a it is a common theme. I'm a dog lover myself, um, but uh, it sounds like there is certainly never a dull moment and you're putting me to shame with your your work in your garden. That is incredible. Yeah, I, I uh, need to up my game. We'll see if it actually lives. You know, I, I planted <laughs> the plants, but, you know, it, we'll see if I actually have green thumbs or not. <laughs> You'll have to send me a picture of that garden in a few months' time. We'll see how it's doing. But but Adrian, right. thank you so much for joining us. I, re- I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much, Alex. I'm Alex Kelly, host of the In-House Outliers podcast. 
This podcast is brought to you by Brightflag, an AI-powered legal operations platform where corporate legal departments gain visibility into operations, maximize productivity, and engage with outside counsel strategically. If you like this episode, then you can find more information in our show notes. If you want to hear more, then you can also find more episodes at brightflag.com forward slash legal hyphen operations hyphen podcast. Thanks again for listening to the In-House Outliers podcast. We'll see you again next time.